Are you interested in money, trends and behaviours? Welcome to Fin Talking, hosted by Jemima Joseph, Cassandra Crow, and Erica Hall. Just a quick reminder that this podcast provides general information only. It is not intended to provide financial, legal, or tax advice. If you need advice, please consult a professional. Now let's get Fin Talking. We're seeing new record levels of household debt here in Australia. So I've got so many questions on this topic today. What is going on with debt in Australia? Why are we seeing such a huge rise in debt? Where is this appetite and supply of debt coming from? Look, I think that it's very clear that home ownership is the great Australian dream. And as a nation, we have a pretty high level of home ownership. I think it's around two thirds of us own a home and that might be with some debt attached to it, but basically two thirds of us are home owners. And obviously the house prices in Australia particularly in Sydney and Melbourne, are quite high. So a lot of people's incomes go into servicing those those debts. And so I think that that's a reason why we're so indebted. And you just look at some of the statistics and you can see compared to other nations, I think we're the second highest indebted nation. Wow. But a lot of that's driven through our household <laughs> debt issues. So the Organisation of Economic Corporation and Development, um, or known as OECD, which is the international group that produces some really amazing statistics, they have actually tracked that issue of household debt and they've looked at it that it's the ratio between household debt. So you can think of that Mm -hmm. as being like mortgages, credit card debts relative to disposable income, which is your income after taxes have been paid. And the figure for Australia is incredibly shocking we're sitting at 216.6% based on the latest figures. And it's even more of a issue when you look at us relative to some other countries. So the OECDs tracked 34 countries and we're at number five. And I think when looking through some of the stats, countries like Canada, the UK, New Zealand and the US, they're so much further behind than us. Like, The UK has 141% and the US, which I thought would be a lot higher than us because they're known for being heavy consumers, is 105%. So I think that is a really huge issue in Australia, that issue of indebtedness. Mm. I think that's so surprising as well in terms of where Australia ranks. I wouldn't necessarily have thought that originally, but I think there's a couple of things going on here. Interest rates are so cheap in Australia. They are around the world, but but very mm-hmm. cheap here. So when money's cheap, people will borrow it. And also, as you hit on, Erica, we've got this growing, you know, extreme growth in property prices, but also there's government policies that support this. So the government gives a tax deduction, for example, for any loss you make from borrowing to invest in a property, and that's called negative gearing. And that, I think, has further fueled yeah. this appetite for debt for owning, you know, your own home and then having an investment property and all of that is putting increasing pressure on households in terms of the debt that they need to service every month. So I think, it, yeah, it, it's quite frightening when you get into the numbers that you mentioned, Jemima, I agree. And I think the other thing too is that people tend to think that um, you can't lose money in property and that, you know, safe as houses, it's a good place mm. to invest. And I guess it's tangible. You can touch it, you can feel it, you can drive past it, you can see it. And so it's something that people understand. Everyone lives in a home. And I'm sure that that's also part of it. Yes, and I think you're absolutely right. The fact that there are sort of incentives, the the negative gearing component 
adds to that as well. But I think also what's really concerning is that we've allowed um, households to defer their home loan repayments due to the uh, financial stress caused Mm -hmm. by COVID-19. And apparently, yeah, one in 14 households actually took that up, which does sound pretty concerning. And that was a six-month sort of moratorium on Mm. paying their, their debt back. And I just heard today uh, on the radio, actually, that the Australian Banking Association has now increased that for a further four months because there's been some anecdotal evidence that with the fiscal stimulus provided by the government with JobKeeper and JobSeeker set to finish in September, and I don't know if that's going to be extended or not, a lot of um, households have said we're going to be in a situation where we can't afford to pay the loan and we're probably going to have to sell our house. So mm. as a result the, uh, of that, I believe, uh, the Banking Association has said, right, we're going to extend it for another four months, which is not great because you don't do that when things are going really well. You do that when, when things are in stress. And I think that must be causing people a whole mm. lot of stress Definitely. Uh, to be thinking that that's coming oh. down the pipeline as well. Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, the other thing that you touched on, Cassie, with interest rates being so low you can actually go and, and borrow quite a lot. And I know, Jemima, you and I have spoken about this in the past because I think that that's something near and dear to your heart. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I think you've been looking to potentially um, buy a property. And we were having a chat about the amount that banks are prepared to, to lend investors or um, homeowners to actually acquire a property. And I was having a chat about a friend of mine who wanted to borrow to buy their home and they came back from uh, working overseas and they were pretty shocked by how much the bank was prepared to give them. They really only wanted about half as much. And the bank said, well, we're happy to give you double what you need. And they're mm. like, we would not mm. feel comfortable with that amount of debt. So we're, we're quite happy to take half as much. But I think maybe a problem is that people think, well, if I can borrow that much, why the hell not? You know, I can live in a much nicer house. But mm-hmm. of course, you then have the um, financial commitment to repay that back. Totally. And, and you only feel that stress when it comes to the situation that we're currently facing when there is uncertainty and there has been some kind of economic shock which has then had a household effect shock being you know whether there is a job loss or a constrained ability to service that loan the whole thing with the deferring mortgage repayments it's interesting in the media that that has been dubbed as like a mortgage holiday Mm. and the realities of it, (laughs) it is not a holiday by any means at all. Um, It's a last resort. But you don't, you still have to pay it back, right? (laughs) It's not like it's gone forever. (laughs) Exactly. And the thing is like deferring interest repayments, um, it's just been added to the life of the loan. The whole issue of compounding, like compounding can work in your benefit or to your detriment. In this case, either when you own something or you owe something. Yes. And deferring it, it's just putting extra pressure on yourself. And obviously there's instances depending on an individual circumstances where, like you mentioned, Cassie, that is the last resort. But I think, I guess, an issue with labelling it as a holiday um, because it's not really capturing the economic um, gravity of it to an individual or a household. Or the spirit of it, I think. It's a bit misleading, Very I true. would say. And that, that makes me think of something else, actually, I think, around this concept of debt. There's a hunger for debt, but there's also a push for debt, I think, in terms of the supply of debt. And I think back to when my parents probably got a mortgage on, on their home, the thought of increasing that mortgage was quite a big deal. 
So you take out a mortgage on your home and then if you wanted to get more credit or more debt, you had to take out a second mortgage. And that sounds pretty scary to think of taking out a second mortgage. You sound like you're shackled to the bank when you use those words. But over the more recent years, you know, the last few decades, that language from banks has really changed. So it's things like, okay, would you like to take out an equity home loan Mm -hmm. so that when your home increases each year, the property prices have historically gone up, will increase your credit. And people are taking that increase in credit and they're using that to fuel their consumption, perhaps to go on a, a holiday, for example. But what they're doing is actually increasing their their debt. And it seems like I think some of the language we're using uh, from the banking sector makes it sound a little bit less scary to call something a home equity loan as opposed to a second mortgage. I think there's a nuance there in terms of the push for credit as well as the hunger for credit. The whole issue is like the, the language, like you said, and the dependency on, I guess, um, framing that just because something, just because we had in the past this historical uprising asset prices and our houses have been worth a lot more, like in considerably <laughs> a lot more than it has in the past, that doesn't necessarily mean that's going to be the case moving forward. And in investment management, there is like a disclaimer that is so heavily used, which is past performance is not indicative of future returns. And the same thing kind of applies with um, how the future might be in terms of, you know, house prices and everything. Like that's not to say like um, everything's going to necessarily come crashing down or at extreme rates. No one really knows what the future holds. But I think that is the point. No one knows what the future holds. So you can't necessarily make decisions dependent on what happened in the past or the past yeah. experience. Yeah, and I mean, I think the temptation is is there when um, you can access cheap credit and, you know, you, you look at, what you can get for you know double the 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 price you know it's pretty uh, tempting to sort of take on that additional debt and um, if it's sort of being offered to you and I know that there's been you know a case uh, recently where I think the Australian Securities Investment Commission took a bank to court because they felt that they were not being responsible lenders in terms of they were not assessing whether borrowers could actually meet their repayments um, before giving them the home loans. And I think that there's been a whole lot of scrutiny wow. around you know, how you assess the ability to repay. And it sounds like a lot of the banks use a, a standardised benchmark. And uh, I think that the Australian Securities and Investments Commission is sort of saying, look, it's not good enough, like we need to properly and adequately assess. And I guess there is a lot more data these days in, the, in this modern world, every sort of um, thing that you spend is itemised. Mm. You know, how often do we use cash? Not very often. So it is all very trackable and traceable. And so I think that there has been a lift in um, that scrutiny. And I know that I've heard anecdotally, if you're wanting to apply for a home loan, get your house in order, you know, your banks are going to look through your, your past sort of three to six months of records to assess your ability to be able to meet those debt obligations. And so that's, I guess, one way of of potentially tightening up credit. Just because the money is um, being offered to you doesn't mean that you should necessarily take it up. Then going into the behavioural economics component of it, there is a a book that was written um, in the US called Overspent America, Why We Want What We Don't Need. (laughs) (laughs) And it's this temptation to sort of keep up with everybody else and to live an amazing lifestyle 
But you don't want to do that if you cannot afford to do that because you do not want to be in financial stress because that's not mm. a happy place to be. And one of the things that I did recently, which you, you guys know about, is I did a, a Coursera course and I recommend Coursera courses. They're super cheap. So I think my course costs $79, but actually you don't even have to necessarily pay for the courses. You can actually just do them and um, it just means that you don't get an assessment if you, if you choose to go for a free option. And so one of the most popular courses that Coursera offers is um, one that's delivered by Yale, which is called The Science of Wellbeing. I really recommend it. It was fantastic. Awesome. And one of the things that um, they talk about there is um, what is it that you really want? You want the wrong stuff. You, you're actually thinking that you want things and the more things you have, the happier you'll be. But what is in reality is that... Um, mm. <laughs> you really want experiences because the, the more things you have, then the more sort of debt obligations you have, then actually um, you're in this horrible sort of cycle of sort of trying to keep up. And what they found is that we do compare ourselves to everybody else. We're humans, we're social. And so everything is based on a relative measure. And so, mm. you know, we look at what what each mm. other are doing and if somebody else has got a, a, a new house or a new car, that, that becomes sort of a reference point for us that perhaps we want to sort of look to sort of keep up and there's a whole keeping up with the Joneses is a pretty common sort of thing that we understand. Mm. There was a study, sorry, I feel like I'm, I'm on a monologue here, but there was a no, Swedish study <laughs> um, that um, was in relation to cars. And so what they found is that if your neighbour bought a car and um, that, that was then significantly increasing your likelihood for you to buy a car as well. <laughs> and the closer you were to that oh, neighbour, and I guess if you're driving past it every day and looking at it every day, the more likely you were to buy that car. Um, and so <laughs> it's just, I think, wow. being aware that, you know, we're mm. human, being aware that we, we are social creatures, that we do want to sort of be part of the, the group. We want to be, you know, keep the status quo. We want to be relative. And that um, maybe... That's not the best way to be. And just being aware that that could be going on, you know, subconsciously, you don't even realise that you're doing that and um, try and stop it. (laughs) That is exactly it. I think that is so, you know, you are the expert on what is driving our behaviours. And I, I feel like that's exactly it to highlight that. There's this whole, as you said, Um, sort of expression of keeping up with the Joneses, but there's also this element of looking down on the Smiths, so to speak. So what that (laughs) means really is saying that we want to be a long way away from the bottom, you know, of the income peer group or our neighbourhood, but we also want to be quite close to the top of that income distribution in our neighbourhood. So it really is a very difficult thing to get your head around that it's almost like a competitive spirit in terms of your possessions and your status. And it really just leads to status anxiety. I think we need to focus more on ourselves, our own financial wellbeing, which is what this whole podcast is about, as opposed to benchmarking ourselves to other people, I think is really dangerous. Obviously a lot easier said than done, but I love what you said, Erica, because I think that is actually the nuts and bolts of, of part of this debt issue. I think the other issue is like, I guess, keeping up with the Joneses, has also evolved into popular culture with keeping up with the Kardashians. I mean, their whole <laughs> yes, sentiment is, so built, <laughs> is built around, hey, look at us, yep. we've got all this money and this is what we're doing and, like, it's stacks and stacks of cash and cars and 
just this lifestyle that's not really attainable for everyone, but it does. And I and I think we talked about it um, at one point, Erica. We did. In like Absolutely. another conversation that we, we were did. having. Yeah. Yeah. And you had a really good point about when you watch television or shows like that, um, and you'll express it a lot better than me, but I thought that was really interesting. It's really dangerous. It just sets this unrealistic benchmark of what is important in life. Yeah, and and this is the point, actually. So one of the things, if you do watch a lot of those types of shows, that does become your reference point. And so all of a sudden it's like, Mm. oh, well, I want a private jet and a chauffeur and a mansion and a beach house and (laughs) and an army of staff, my own private chef. And so then it does become, um, you know, that's your new reference point and that you're then looking to try and sort of keep up with. And so, yeah, one of the things that when we were having a chat, Jemima, that I mentioned was that Apparently, for every hour of TV you watch, you end up spending $4 more. So, you know, it, the TV is actually um, influencing <laughs> your your reference point. And then the other thing that you mentioned as well, Cassie, which I thought was really pertinent, is that you're absolutely right. It is how you fit into sort of the, the hierarchy, I suppose, and that keeping up with the Joneses and that income component. There was some studies that showed if you were perhaps on unemployment benefits, that was much worse if you're in unemployment benefits in a, a suburb that actually had high employment um, because you were you know, at the bottom of the rung um, in the hierarchy, I suppose, mm. versus if you actually are unemployment benefits in a suburb that had high unemployment, you're actually fine. You know, you're much better off from a, I guess, comparing yourself and feeling that you're doing okay or that you know things weren't as dire as perhaps if you were in a in a different suburb that had full employment. So they have done some research on that. The other research that I thought was really interesting was, again, talking about that whole reference point. So when looking at things relative rather than actually um, in absolute, is that they did a a study with some um, Harvard students and they asked them some questions in terms of incomes. And they said, would you prefer to have uh, to earn 50K a year but um, your peers are all earning 25K, so you're earning double the amount of your peers. Would you be happy mm-hmm. doing that? Or would you prefer to be earning $100,000 a year, but all your peers are earning $200,000 a year? Would you be happy with that? Mm-hmm. Which would you prefer? Now, obviously, hundred grand. <laughs> Is much better than fifty grand, so yes, I would yep. be going. Give me the hundred grand, thank you very much. But yeah. actually, fifty percent of those that were um, surveyed said no. We'd rather the fifty thousand because really? then we're earning twice as much as our peers, and so we'll feel good about ourselves because of that. Which I just that is find, so crazy. I always find uh, bizarre, insane. right? But I just think you need to look inside yourself. As opposed to if, if you constantly compare yourself to other people, there's always someone doing something you think is more impressive or more meaningful. It's just such a bottomless pit of disappointment, I think. Yeah, and so I think it's just calling it out and being aware that this is what's going on potentially in some people's minds and to you know stop it. If you start thinking it like that and start heading down that path to try and um, check yourself and stop. And then the final study that I thought was really interesting um, re- related to Olympic um, medalists. So clearly they're elite athletes, they're at the Olympics, they've worked really hard to get there. And what they did is they compared um, the different um, medalists on the podium, so your gold, your silver and your bronze. 
And so, of course, the person who's won gold is super happy. You know, they're the best in the world. They've, you know, all the training and the hard work and the dedication has paid off. And so they're, they're really happy. And if you look at the silver medalists, um, apparently you will find that they're not looking so happy. They're looking pretty, pretty sad. And um, the reason is the reference point, because the silver medalist was super close to getting the gold. They were super close to being the best in the world, but they got pipped at the post. And so they're only the second best. So they didn't quite make it. So their reference point was, I could have got the gold if, you know, if it was one second more, if I pushed that little bit harder or whatever. So they're, they're feeling like really unhappy with their silver medal. And then you look at the bronze medalist and the bronze medalist is almost looking as happy as the gold medalist. And the reason for that is the reference point again. It's like, wow, I could have had no medal at all. I got a bronze medal. I'm the third best in the world. I'm so happy. And so again, just showing that reference point makes all the difference in terms of your um, overall happiness and well-being, which I think, again, is really, really interesting. I mean, you made the point earlier, mm-hmm. Cassie, about that competitive spirit um, that seems to be such a common thing in society. And debt, I guess, has been a vehicle that has somewhat been misused and obviously maybe not intentional, it's just in the spirit of wanting to keep up, that debt has been kind of misused to finance this lifestyle that is is not necessarily attainable or not necessarily serviceable when an economic hardship like COVID-19 or anything at an individual level that can occur. Like That's it. We've kind of That's so it. And I think we just need to think more about our future self. How are we going to feel one day that debt needs to be repaid? It's not going away. It's not an endless stream of money coming your way without any consequences. So having that awareness of the impacts in the future. I think listening to all the things you're saying, something for me that's really important is I am paying off my mortgage and I try to see the increase in my saving account the same as buying a new dress or buying something new. You know that feeling when you go out there and get something new, you're so excited. I try to look at the reduction in my debt in the same lens because it is digital. Yeah, I'm not getting that material possession, uh, so to speak, by saving and paying off my mortgage. But I think if we can change our mindset and actually try to get the same energy and positive feeling from paying off that debt, paying off that mortgage or saving some of your salary as we do from buying a new handbag, dress, whatever it might be, I think <laughs> we would be in better shape and, and financially fitter if we could think about it with that mental model. Absolutely. And I think that that purchase, like the the research shows, and I know even just from myself, it's fleeting. You feel happy in the moment, but it doesn't necessarily last for, the, for that long. <laughs> and whereas, you know, paying down your mortgage is enduring, right? Like that, that's, a, <laughs> that's a significant you know, impact, long-term impact. Um, so I think I love that that's the way you sort of look at it. Exactly. Um, to sort of reward yourself, I guess, psychologically, which is great. (laughs) Yeah. The other thing that, like, I guess financial literacy affords you is a greater understanding of, like, if you've got a home loan, what are all the the features of that loan? So whether it's fixed or variable, whether there is a offset account, redraw facility, all of those things are tools that, um, depending on your circumstances, you can have it in a way that helps you actually be focused and and to get those um, psychological benefits of like, hey, I've actually, by me putting my money to pay off my loan, I'm actually better off and I've saved on 
a stack load of interest. Like, Yeah. You need to think about your financial health. Just because you can borrow money doesn't mean you should borrow it. Think about your future ability to pay that back and just try not to keep up with the Joneses. Try to look inward for that financial security and happiness. I feel like these are kind of the elements of what we're trying to say. Financial literacy is a key part of this as well, Jemima, as you just touched on. But Erica, to your area of expertise, a lot of this is the behaviours that come from within ourselves, I think, that are driving this appetite and hunger for debt. I, th- I think yeah. they're some of the takeaways perhaps that we're making. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it actually reminded me um, of this, and this is well, like a lot of things that I do say, it does sound pretty random at first, but sit with me <laughs> on this one, is um, there was a 90s um, rap hip-hop song. <laughs> I don't know where you're going to go with this. I know, I know. <laughs> by this um, band called the Wu-Tang Clan, and it was called CREAM. And it stood, it was like an acronym that stood for Cash Rules Everything Around Me. And I think that really summed up the sentiment of the 90s um, and an era like of, (laughs) now it feels like yesteryear, um, where cash did rule everything that we did. Um, We didn't have contactless payments. Uh, Interest rates were incredibly high. Um, Asset prices were reasonable. So we didn't have this appetite. For debt, we did really, cash was considered king. But then if you fast forward to 30 years later, we're kind of in the state that is called dream, I guess, where debt rules everything Mm. (laughs) around us, that we just have this appetite and this insatious desire to, to spend, but it's not coming from cash. It's actually coming from potentially debt. And that is probably the heart of the issue because we're missing out on the fact that debt does kind of afford us the ability to smooth out cash flows and access things like the ability to buy a house, which you would not be able to do with just your income. But it has its limitations, like it's healthy up until a certain point. So true. Spot on. That is amazing. Love it. So who would have thought 90s rap would be, um, (laughs) (laughs) there'd be a lesson in that. (laughs) So deep. So deep. (laughs) Well, I think... So no one ever (laughs) until today. (laughs) 